Welcome to the Wizardist Podcast. I'm Paul Canetti. This is episode 14. Today we've got Ted Mendelson, the Vice President of Commercial and Digital Markets at the Associated Press. Ted has been with the Associated Press for uh, almost 25 years doing business development and uh, really at the forefront of a lot of their digital endeavors, as you can imagine, over the past couple of decades, a lot has changed in the world of news distribution. Earlier in Ted's career, he worked at the New York Times and is just sort of a lifelong news industry veteran. It was great to discuss a variety of topics around how the news industry has changed over these last 25 years, but even going further back, Ted was telling me about how the Associated Press has actually been around for over 170 years and what news distribution looked like then uh, and that they've really been sort of on the cutting edge this entire time as things continue to change and evolve. And so we talk about the Associated Press itself. We talk about the news industry in general, about the resiliency of text-based media and how even after all this time, articles, images, and now, of course, video, but these basic formats continue to rule supreme. And whether or not that will continue to be the case as we shift into new sorts of media paradigms around audio and AI, the AP is particularly interesting because it's a nonprofit organization that is really a membership of other uh, news outlets, um, and it works with a wholesale sort of model, even though it also has a direct-to-consumer presence and brand. Speaking with Ted really gave me a larger perspective about the current state of news and media, and really when you're working uh, somewhere like the Associated Press, it really just gives you that sort of bird's-eye view because they've seen it all before, and they'll see it again in the future. And uh, it really just makes you realize that everything and all the turmoil that the news industry is going through right now is really just part of this much larger continuum. And I found it really exciting to to learn more about it and just to hear Ted's take on a lot of the stuff that's been happening. So uh, before we jump in, as always, I'd love to to encourage you to rate or review the podcast and certainly subscribe if you haven't already. We got new episodes coming out every two weeks with some amazing guests, and I'm happy to introduce one of them right now. This is Ted Mendelson, the VP of Digital and Commercial Markets at the Associated Press. So we've met a few times at various conferences. Right. I've seen you present. Um, and first of all, I love your, your presentation style. And, and, uh, but I learned some amazing things about the Associated Press. And just sort of when I think about it, I think about it in the context that I know it, which is, you know, the, the past couple of decades. But how long has this company been around? Um. It's probably over 170 years. That's insane. Yes. Uh, we, we've covered uh, the Civil War. And in fact, we probably have some photos from the Civil War. Um, 
it started by a number of several New York City newspapers. They came together and they were looking for how do you get news and information from distances without everybody investing into it. So they organized themselves and they, I think I showed you a picture about they were they would be meeting boats coming from Europe and the guy throwing a sack overboard and there's a number of uh, people from the AP rowing their boat to pick up the sack and that was essentially one of the beginnings of um, the uh, news correspondence from abroad reporting uh, to newspapers and certainly with um, and even here in the United States with events happening in remote places uh, newspapers didn't have necessarily the money to send correspondence and AP became sort of the de facto place where you got news from, uh, you know, from distances and distributed to newspapers. So it's kind of like consolidated reporting that then is given and then disseminated through all the individual brands. And sort right. Of- I mean, the way we, um, our, our reporters, and, and I couldn't tell you if this was true at the beginning, but certainly it's true now, um, they... They report just the facts, uh, so, so you'll see no opinion. And uh, today you might see um, our um, some of our reporters or uh, news leaders like Julie Pace, who is the bureau chief in Washington, she'll be on CNN and MSNBC, and they'll ask her for information. She will not provide opinion. Uh-huh. Uh, so we don't provide a, opinion, and it is if the newspapers then decide to put their own color around uh, our news facts, that's their choice. Um, often, what they do is they remove um, the AP brand off of it. They will use a lot of the facts, but they will rewrite it, and they will rewrite it because they will want to add their own spin on it. But if they just put our stuff, uh, there'll be no opinion. It'll be straightforward. So as if they credit you, then the expectation is that it, they'll sort of serve it as is. Correct. But they can, what's the the typical business model? Are they essentially licensing that content? Or are they buying it? So, as I think I mentioned, uh, we're a cooperative. So the, uh, our owners are the daily newspapers in the United States. And um, part of the uh, cooperative is that depending who you are and where you are, you get a certain amount of content as part of the membership. Um, There's also a piece where uh, we get to select a couple of items from each one of the contributors. And we redistribute it on what we call state wires. So... um, the, if we pick a couple of stories out of the Des Moines registers, for example, uh, we'll move it around on the Iowa state wire because um, other newspapers in Iowa would very much want to see the, um, you know, some of the stuff that happens in Des Moines if they didn't cover it. Um, the other way of thinking about it, think of it this way. Um, so a Texas newspaper, for example, may want to get the New Jersey state wire because New Jersey's full of um, refineries. Yeah. So that might be of importance to um, in Houston, for example. So, you know, that's how the membership works. Everybody else is essentially a license. They, um, they decide what content they want to get, and they, we do commercial license agreements with them. And 
but the AP is also a direct-to-consumer brand as well, right? Correct. I mean, that's something that is recent. It's fairly recent for us, uh, probably, uh, I don't know, 10, 10 years or so. Actually, it is exactly 10 years. Really? Because um, we were the uh, first news app on the iPhone. Amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we had someone be, couldn't be much earlier than ten years ago, right? Right. So it was, yeah, because I remember that was the uh, iPhone anniversary, just now, ten years. Yeah. Um, in fact, we had someone uh, from our office on the stage with, when um, Steve Jobs was introducing the iPhone, and um, and we were the first app, and it it still is very good, and it still does very well, but we are not known necessarily as a consumer brand and uh, that's just been evolving slowly so when the cnn's and nbc and msnbc they came on they quickly shot to the top um we still get very high ratings we still get a, a particular um, usage from people who are um, news nuts really who really just want to get the news they don't want an opinion i have friends of mine who love the AP News app because I don't want to know what anyone tells me to think about. I want to think on my own. So, Well, it seems increasingly hard to find that, just That's the right. facts. That's right. That's right. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we're so polarized and obviously reflective in so many different ways that um, everybody feels compelled to appeal to a particular uh, clientele and we will not change our you know, colors. This is how we're going to go on. Why do you think other news organizations feel that they have to stray away from just reporting the news? Because I, I'm seeing it more and more in brands that I previously sort of perceived to essentially be what you're talking about. Just You right. just get the news. That's what it is. But, but now... I'm seeing a lot more, uh, I guess you can call it opinion, but even just, you know. Uh, a slant. Yeah. And, and you can clearly see in which context are they presenting these facts, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why that is the case. And I, I, uh, I'm, I am kind of surprised that uh, I don't see more of that straight reporting. Um, one of the things that I'm sort of discovering, it's more anecdotal than you know any true research behind it, is that um, news or breaking news per se doesn't come out of you know, old sources. Like uh, it'll be much more stories. So the New York Times will not give you a breaking news story. They will tell you, uh, they will exploit a storyline. They will do some exclusive reporting sometimes, but it's not like breaking news. It's more of a narrative. It's just a narrative, right? Um, all of that is essentially the internet and Wi-Fi has changed that notion. So people get their stuff wherever they get it online. Right. right. The breaking news seems almost like commoditized. Right. Like it's it breaks everywhere. Right. So so I guess then it becomes just like you uh, people look for an audience. MSNBC looks for an audience to the left, and the Fox is looking for an audience to the right, and. You know, CNN is somewhere, you know, waddling more to the left. But, you know, there's always some element of that. Um, and even when news, newspapers, you know, like the Washington Post and New York Times who do wonderful reporting, but it's not really breaking news reporting. It, you know, as we were saying, it's narratives, right? Because there, there's no, no point in putting really breaking news on it. Um, 
so that that ship has sailed. Uh, and and the ship has sailed for 170 years. Yeah, so. Right. And so I guess in a perfect scenario, you are sort of behind the scenes of all of those brands. So as you don't ultimately care if the end brand leans left, leans right. Correct. You know, leans up, leans down. It's it's that you're providing sort of that underlying almost infrastructure of this is what happened, Correct. what actually happened. Right. And then you can sort of dress it up however you want. Well, I mean, uh, give you extreme examples. I mean, if, if you look at MSNBC as a you know, kind of a more a left leaning uh, a cable news channel. I just mentioned a lot of our reporters appear on the, you know, MSNBC, sure. but they also appear on Fox. And the same token, Breitbart is a customer of ours. Um, you know, so again, we license the content. We do not pass judgment. There are elements, there are certain areas that we will not do business. And those are really, truly extreme things, but it's not because of political view necessarily. We wouldn't uh, license to an outright, uh, you know, like uh, an, a, a true fascist or Nazi kind of right. portal. Um, but a, a right, someone that is, you know, thinks very right wing and all that, sure. Right. If it's a legitimate news organization. A legitimate news, right. yes, we will do that. And so when you think about this whole phenomenon of fake news, which obviously I'm sure right. is, is something that, you know, has been talked about, uh, what what role do you think there is to play? Because it seems like one problem is telling the truth from fiction. And it seems like the content that you're providing is like the perfect check. Right. right. And as if, if what you're guaranteeing is like, these are just the facts, you know, uh, and nothing but the facts. So help me God. Yeah. Then that seems like a really good barometer for that. And yeah, yet it still seems... So well, fuzzy uh, in the consumer market, people can't tell what's real and what's not real. True. I mean, we when we work with you know with Facebook and you know help in in, in identifying some um, some of this fake news. We also run a um, series periodically called Fact Check, where we um, we will look at things that tr all of a sudden trend heavily, and uh, and if it's not true, we will do our own reporting on it and debunk it. And we now also notice that, you know, Google is also going to be looking to doing something similar. So um, I think there's getting to be more and more of an effort to try to debunk it. But frankly, um, you know, th there's always an audience for someone who wants to believe something that is not real and, and they'll play it out. So right. And, and, you know, you see some other fact checking type sites becoming politicized where you don't trust the initial facts, then you don't trust the fact checkers. Checker, exactly, right. You know, and as you can just talk yourself into exactly. some conspiracy. You know, right, right, right. Uh, and, and certainly that happens, and you see it happen. Um, we get a lot of um, kudos on that about being, um, staying true to the, you know, to the course and, and not really wavering. It's part of the reason that um, I find that my staff and myself... When we call on clients, it's it's easy because of that. There's no, you don't feel like you ever have to justify what you do. This is this is this is it. It's it's as real as it gets. Right. This is sort of the baseline. Right. Right. You know, right. Of the news business. Yeah. So as far as the delivery of this content, okay. So it started with 
something happens in Europe, I guess someone would write it down, literally put it on a boat, send it across the Atlantic. Right. Then some guys in a rowboat go out, get it, bring it back to the newsroom, right. repackage right, it. Right, right, right. I'm assuming that's not how it works today. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, for the longest time, and, uh, and this already uh, goes into my career already at AP, and even before that, I worked at the New York Times. Um, there were printers, you know, high-speed printers, and a lot of it was copy was coming off of the wires, and you just pull the uh, the content off of the printer. And if I can stop you for a second, sure. When people say the wire, uh-huh. what does that literally mean? Well, it's think of it this way. I mean, I sometimes uh, say it's like a a faucet. You turn on the water, and the news just keeps coming out nonstop. That there's, you know, as we filed news stories, they just move out. And, and that's the wire. The wire just keeps pushing the news out. There's no, uh, we don't uh, rank it. It's, uh, it's sequential news. I mean, we'll talk to you about Trump right now. And then after that, we might talk to you about the NFL uh, scores or something. Whatever we decide is, you know. Right. As soon as it's done, it, it goes out. out right. And so today, the wire is digital. What was it before that? Well, um, literally, I mean, until I, I don't know how long, um, maybe about, until about 20 years ago, and I may be off a few years here, um, we would deliver content on printers because we would accommodate to the lowest common denominator. Uh, So we would have a daily newspaper, and I remember they're members, so we, uh, they own us, they just, you know, our charter is based on what they say. Um, and if it's a small newspaper, that's the only way they could receive news on a printer. Well, we had to accommodate to that, and we delivered a lot of news on printers. And then we started, um, satellite became a, a, a key a delivery mechanism. Um, and then, of course, as the internet started, a lot of the change for us, how we delivered, I mean, there was a, um, a method that um, it was called AMPA, and that was essentially, that's how we delivered the news to everyone. And this was coded for newspapers. And if you were a, a, uh, a prodigy, at, if that rings a bell, or CompuServe, it basically it was your responsibility to decode it, you know, pull that out to make sure that it, you can play with it. We then started to um, put together a, a new service called AP Online, which was specific to this new market segment. Um, but we didn't truly... Uh, um, accommodate to that market segment until Yahoo. So um, I did a deal with Yahoo maybe going 20 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. Um, and history here, I, I don't know if people who know that Reuters was an investor in Yahoo and, and mm-hmm. essentially pulled out, I mean, you know, bought itself out um, and reduced the content delivery. And then Yahoo came to us and, and that's how we really got involved in licensing the content. But Yahoo being at the time the premier technology uh, player insisted that they wanted to get the news feeds in the particular way. So we had to accommodate and it was the first time that we really were, were truly responsive to the new medium. Wow. And uh, you know the headlines had to be shorter and uh, it had to be more um, you know, had to have a little more oomph to it so that it, we were driving the uh, eyeballs to a lot of the Yahoo 
new. So people were entering the Yahoo environment through often through breaking news. So we had to accommodate to that. Um, I mean, there, there's a in, in terms of you know how much of this technology fascination there is. Um, images, which is you know again we were one of the at the forefront of uh, moving images from one place to another. When I joined, um, the images were delivered on a um, a piece of hardware that uh, I think I believe it was IBM. Um, PC kind of stuff um, and it had uh, programming that AP programmers you know put it together and that's how you receive the images at the newspapers and then you know the editors would pull the images and then put it associated with um, stories well when you start talking to the tech guys they say well this doesn't work we want to be able to take all the you know all the stuff and I remember very clearly meeting with um, uh, a small company that was just starting out, and what they wanted to do is do a uh, a magazine on a CD-ROM. And they said to me, uh, "We want images." And I said, "Okay, how many do you want?" And he said, "Well, <laughs> thousands." And uh, never really thought about that somebody would want to consume that many uh, those many images. And when I do, you know, I said, well, you need to have a satellite and you have to uh, use this uh, technology to receive it. And then they said, well, I need the coating to remove this so that I can absorb it all at once. And we didn't have anything that was documenting. So, but fortunately, they said, well, look, um, they were, they said they were employees six, seven, and eight at Microsoft. Said, so uh, we know what we're doing. So we're going to decode it for you and give you the information back. Um, and that was sort of the opening for us to begin to license images to places other than newspapers or magazines. And um, on, um, until that, uh, until these guys, we, we never sold photos outside of that market segment. Wow. And today, I would imagine there's video too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we deliver now everything in whatever medium. Um, a lot of our reporters go out and uh, use, you know, either either or, or whatever. It's a photos, video, text. Um, they they are more and more learning how to um, use video in in a more um, uh, sort of I don't want to say aggressive, but reacting to the market because. We're so conditioned, so many of our people are so conditioned to the notion that it was newspapers, it was radio, it was television. So, and, you know, let's, let's not forget that uh, providing video to the broadcast is still one of the biggest uh, revenue opportunities for us. So we're not going to mess around too much with that. But understanding that um, providing video into this digital market segment and, you know, on iPhones and on uh, smartphones, tablets, whatever, it's a different kind of a construct. And so we work internally with that and trying to accommodate it, but we also have to um, alert the news folks on the field to understand that doing something or shooting something with a different market segment of place is different. Because with everything, again, think back of history here, culture, that someone would go out and, you know, there'll be a ship, you know, 
terrible example, going down, <laughs> right? And there'll be a cameraman shooting for five, six minutes, or, you know, the thing going yeah. down. And then those five, six minutes get sent to the broadcaster. And the broadcaster decides, oh, I'm going to use these 10 seconds out of it and so on. And, but out of that five, six minutes. But if we are going to send to a, uh, you know, to, to an online system, it's a different kind of packaging. Right. So, you know, we have to be alert to that. And we have to understand how we do that. And that's a just an ever-growing evolution for us, how we cover things. Yeah, it's it's like editing or curating in a way. Right. And then I guess that can happen sort of in post-production or out in the field. Right. You know, because I right, if you're a photographer or writer, you know, even 20, but certainly, you know, 30 plus years ago, you know that this is going to end up in a newspaper in print. Right. And so there's only sort of one place it could go. And today, I would imagine if you're a field reporter, there's a million places that that could end up. That's right. You know? That's right. And so, so thinking about the, it's funny to think about someone that's in the field that needs to actually be thinking all the way to the end point, like or, where could this go? Right. Know? I mean, and, and and it is it is important. It's also the latency of the content is different. So again, think of it. So they're shooting the video, and again, in the old culture world, the timing is, is not that, wasn't all that relevant because the thing was sent to a broadcaster and then the broadcaster you know, picked it and so on. But now, if, if we want to serve the video to Yahoo, right, we have to serve it immediately or as soon as possible so, because we want to be competitive. We want to be, you know, we want to be out there as quick as possible. So understanding that, is, is, is relevant and it's important and not only from the production side but also from the filming side yes so the the editorial and the product people and you know us on the business side we have to be totally aligned in how we do this right because the speed matters speed matters it's almost you know financial data company you know if, if you're delivering that news nanoseconds faster than the next guy you can make the trade it's sort of the equivalent for the media world, you know, right? Like, how do you get that out and beat the the whole pack of people that are going to release that story in the next five minutes or whatever? Right. And I mean, it can get really almost to a silly point, and especially when you're talking to financial investors, right? Um, we're at the moment, probably the primary reporter out um, data provider out of lockups, you know, uh, labor statistics reporting and so on. Yeah. And um, it's, you know, we beat, if we beat the competition by whatever amount of time is irrelevant so long as you're first. Because that's the one that's going to be used. Got it. it. So the margin a, doesn't matter. The margin doesn't matter. You just have to be first. It's like winning and, a race. Right. I mean, an Olympic race. It doesn't matter right. what the what the margin is, right? That's right. And you're it, going and for it's gold. Similar because, you know, if you continuously win, that means that uh, they're trading on your information. And even if it's a nanosecond, the other guy gets it from someone else a little slower. It's too slow. And so from a technical perspective, I'm assuming that all of this today is happening via API. Right, where or not for well, all of your clients, but yeah, but, but so words, I mean, is yes, that we're, the we're, fastest we're, delivery mechanism there is today? Uh, that's probably where we're morphing to. It's is to more like API kind of uh, delivery. Yeah, yeah, because right, I can imagine it's almost like the humans slow it down. 
Yeah. You know? And so if you can have a software system that's ingesting the content and then delivering it via API, like let's say you have a website and there's just a slot open for put the newest thing from the AP here and there is nobody sort of, there's no human that's receiving it and posting it in between. It's just, it's coming straight from the source, from the faucet. Right. And suddenly it's on the homepage with no intervention, you know. That's that's what we're aspiring to. I, I can't tell you that we're there totally. Um, I, I have to say this because we, uh, it's important, it's very important in our, you know, lingo is we want to be first, but we want to be right. So we'll be right first and then mm. worry about being first because um, we know way too many uh, other organizations get burned pretty damn quickly. Yes, in, it seems to be coming right. more and more common. Right. And so we don't want to be in that space. So we'll, we'll sacrifice some time at times to do that. The uh, What I was telling you about the lockup uh, information, we don't... We don't manage that uh, delivery. That we work with partners who understand the infrastructure. We're nowhere near as competent, right? Uh, you know, to do that. Well, you don't need to be because I mean, for yeah. instance, with financial that, that already exists, you know. Right. But so, so we work with other companies who who do that. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating because the role of the editor, you know, and and uh, maybe I'm I'm old school in the way I think about, it, but I like to believe they'll always need some human editorial voice or or curation but it is interesting to think about what's the minimum you can get away with because you're adding friction every time True. somebody is yeah. picking and choosing and going through mm -hmm. like even in the example you deliver a five minute video and someone picks the 10 seconds mm -hmm. if you have all day to do that to make the six o'clock broadcast tonight fine right but if you need to you know be uh, publishing this out to the internet in the next you know 60 seconds then if if some if there's some automated way to get that 10 second clip or if someone sort of earlier in the food chain chose the 10 seconds so you never even received the five minute video <laughs> you just received the 10 second right, video right. well uh, actually one of the things that we're uh, and I had a conversation this afternoon with our um, executive editor and that's actually one of the things we're looking at is how do you provide uh, an initial clip before you provide the bigger one or just enough information right now we do that with text and we do uh, well not with photos so much but with video yeah that would be you know it, it makes sense right how do you give me the first bits and pieces of information and then you know the rest is coming a little bit later right so, yeah no absolutely we're looking at every which way how do you how do you get there? yeah i mean you actually know? doing that is a right. different story right but it's fascinating so You've been at the AP for what, around 25 years, you said? Uh, next year, it'll be 25. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations, first of all. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, so it's just amazing to think about where technology was in 1993. Uh, this was right on the cusp of when the internet was about to go sort of mainstream in the U.S., mm -hmm. where, you know, families were starting to install Prodigy and AOL and, right, you right. know, maybe that's 95, 96 when it starts yeah, to yeah. pick up. And since then, of course, it's changed and morphed a million times mm -hmm. again. So I would imagine you don't get to sort of uh, rest very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
part of the reason I, I do what I do and I still stick around is because I actually find it fascinating to watch this change. And I, I've said it uh, in presentations and so on that change has always happened. It's just the speed has has gone from, you know, a snail to warp speed. And, um, and often we, you know, you're in a situation where you're doing a deal with a company and it looks really interesting and its shelf life is just a, a couple of years because something else is you know, displacing it and technology is really creating markets almost continuously. Um, you know, the opportunities, I, we're kidding, we're using the word now, cylinders are the new technology, right? The Amazon Echoes and uh, Bixby and so yeah, on. That's funny, yeah. So, so we're now trying to, so this is becoming a new thing for us, right? Well, it wasn't there a few years ago. And um, it's this constant adjustment and it's, it's nerve wracking, but it's utterly fascinating to see what comes next. And, you know, how do you deal with it? And, you know, how do you cope? And how do you create products that fit that particular uh, delivery mechanism? Ultimately, you know, what, what you're doing is that the number of the customer base doesn't really grow. I mean, there's 300 million people in the United States. If they all consume news, you're just not going to come up with something that, oh, you're going to add some other numbers. Right. It's just shifting people from one technology to another or expanding the content to be used across multiple technologies. Because I can read now the news on my phone, on my watch, whatever. Right. Listen to it on my Amazon Echo. Right. So it's, so it's all over the place. But yeah. Today uh, I spoke at uh, Advertising Week mm -hmm. and I, I had a slide actually about Amazon Echo and I asked the audience, raise your hand if you have an Amazon Echo at home. Mm -hmm. And almost everybody raised right. hand. I said, keep it up if you have two. And at least two thirds of the people kept their right. hands in the air. Yeah. Only one or two had three or more. That was right. little, for a New York apartment, that's excessive. <laughs> you know? uh, but it's amazing because a year ago, and definitely two years ago, I think you know you would have just had a couple of hands that, that had even heard of Amazon Echo. That's it's, right. It's amazing. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so I would imagine another tricky thing is knowing where to place those bets because when things catch, it seems to sort of go fast, but... <laughs> There's there's so many potential candidates for what could be the next mm -hmm. sort of output. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, um, and I, I'm probably at time, I'm both, I could be more cautious or I can be more uh, um, react action oriented on certain things. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing is that we are always a. Um, a reactor into the market because we're a wholesaler. You, you mentioned that you know we also have a retail business and and with the iPhone we're there, but that's um, you know we fine tune that product. We you know we look at other ways of doing it and all that. But as new technologies come on, um, we don't anticipate them. We just need to be uh, flexible to be reacting to to the new market. Um, if I knew what's coming, I'd be in a different business, by the way. <laughs> um, but but it's important. I mean, what's important to it is also to understand that is this new technology viable for, for the news? Is it something uh, that, you know, uh, makes sense to get involved with? I mean, we were talking about, um, 
devices that were uh, put into uh, cars like Sirius or XM and stuff like that. Well, we don't really have a play there. I mean, we provide news to some of the people who play there. Right. So we... So for us to accommodate to something like a Sirius and XM would be a folly. We, we wouldn't be able to compete with the CNN or anyone like that. So why get in Right, there? and you're competing with your wholesale customers. Right, in that case. And, and that's a balancing act for us always. Is, yeah. is, you know, how do you, um, how do you do, provide what you do with your own voice without compromising what you're licensing to, you know, to a much bigger market? I yeah. Think, so. It's interesting even thinking about cars, you know, with self-driving or autonomous cars, people getting their news, you know, there's suddenly a lot more free time people could be spending. Uh, But I would imagine as each of these new technologies that is now sort of, you know, a possibility and some of them will actually break through VR, AR, whatever, you're always going to be faced with this thing that your customers, meaning your wholesale customers, the CNNs, they will certainly want to get in there. Sure. And then the question is, is what you're giving them already enough where it's on, it, the onus is actually on them to sort of repackage it into that new way? Or is it something so revolutionary and different that you have to change it? Because it's actually amazing that even now, 20 plus years into sort of the commercial internet, we're still just dealing with text, images, videos, text, right. images, videos. And, and that was true before the Internet. It was text, images in print and video on TV. And so I'm sometimes skeptical of the whole concept of these new paradigms because there's always sort of this lurking feeling that there's going to be something. But those three formats seem to be incredibly resilient. Yes, they are. And um, interestingly enough, uh, Certainly, uh, photos and video become very attractive as eye-catching. That's the one that leads. But when you start looking for something, text is the, still the only true way to get everything that you're really looking for. One of the things that you you, know, you mentioned about um, you know our customers and so to whom we wholesale, um, much of um, where we're looking at right now and the people that we're dealing with is essentially we call them new publishers, if you will, and they would be the um, they would be platforms who are not necessarily looking to provide news in the old-fashioned way, but it becomes something different. Um, so, if we talk about you know the cylinders, the Amazon Echoes, and so on, there it's not so much that you you provide a news report where you, you look it up. And all that you're going to be asking questions, right? right? So it's a different kind of interaction. It becomes its own platform. It's not about um, providing news to a pl- uh, to a a third party that makes it available on the on the platform, but providing news because somebody because you're going to ask it some sort of question. You know, you know, did the Giants lose? Right. Yeah, you get the you'll get the answer, and then we'll provide. The content. That's it. fascinating. So the delivery there, the packaging, it's like the opposite of the New York Times narrative we were talking about. Correct. It's breaking it all down and, and modularizing yeah. it so That's right. you could pull one fact out yeah. and 
and that could be its own delivery. Right. So, so that's what I'm saying. That so when we are now at a position where we say, okay, we believe that this is a new opportunity for us. So now we have to accommodate the content that we provide there is uh, to to the new user, a different type of user. Um, so that's that's really where we're looking at. And if you're looking at uh, platforms, you know. Um, we're, we're sort of dabbling in things like we want to talk to Netflix and Amazon Prime because um, you know what they do and how do we provide them with news and content that's relevant to whatever they're working on. But the other things with that I think I mentioned in some other presentations is that we are a breaking news organization. That's that's what we're well known. That's what drives us and so on. Uh, the detriment to that is when I want to sell the archive, because the archive is an extremely rich archive, but I need to start convincing people that it's not just the breaking news, you have to remember the archive that we have. Um, and, and I don't want to misspeak here, but, um, and I don't know if we provide them. I know there's this new HBO series, The Deuce. Yeah. It's the 1970s. Uh, New York. Well, a lot of that uh, footage is, you know, it's either we provided or Getty or some other one. Someone from the archive. Because that's archive, archival material. But that material was shot at the time, was real time, and it was maybe breaking news. I mean, this is what... Right. Or like, I don't know if if you've started watching yet the new Ken Burns documentary, The Vietnam War. Yeah. I mean, I know we provided some, uh, you know, stuff. Yeah, I don't know, you know, but there's so much historical footage there. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, documentary, for instance, is a sort of clear example, but it's also interesting to think about a scenario where the same way that you're talking about sort of breaking down or modularizing, you know, these individual facts, like, can you, could you eventually do that with the archive? So if someone is, whatever, reading a story about North Korea, there's a few of those out these days, <laughs> and, uh, and then they want to dig a little deeper I mean, you have, you know, this whole treasure trove. Right. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, you know, uh, I don't know what I would do today. Maybe I'd go to Wikipedia or I'd, you know, but if somehow there was a way to sort of trace back the steps. So uh, someone's name and I'm not familiar with who they are. And then, you know, I click there and then I'm sort of open up a can of worms about that person. And then it makes reference to some, you know, treaty that was signed and then I sort of go down that rabbit hole yeah. and, you know, can you follow well, it back? I mean, we prov- again, in this case, we provide mostly just the raw material. So we, w- we won't make it available to a college student per se, but, right. but um, yeah, our deepest text archive is with LexisNexis. Very few places where you can go and get sort of everything in, you know, all wrapped up very nicely. Um, I mean, even LexisNexis is really just text. Uh, you can go to photo archives and you can go to video archives. And uh, so no one has gone as far as really, uh, not that I'm aware of, where it unites all of this stuff and, you know, becomes a compelling research with everything. Yeah. I, I'm not aware of that. And the difficult thing is how do you monetize those things? I mean, look, we work with a number of publishers who serve the education market, Gale, uh, Gale being one of the largest. And they will put out, um, I mean, they publish some stuff, original material. Um, one of the things that they uh, did um, most recently 
um, our Saigon Bureau during the Vietnam War uh, was, you know, the best. And uh, in fact, there's a, um, I'm going off here on a little tangent. We're doing a, um, a book, uh, we're working on a book with uh, one of our uh, Pulitzer Prize photographers, his name is Nick Utt. And uh, Nick is famous for the Napalm Girl uh, photo. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, and, and one of the discussions about him and uh, one of the, uh, Peter Arnett, who used to work at the AP Bureau in Saigon, um, so the discussion, it was like, they said it was like the 1927 Yankees that the Bureau was, you know, that good uh, uh, Bureau. Um, anyway, so a lot of the original material that was in that Bureau, including photos that never saw the light of day, uh, that they've had taken that was personal photos, um, Gail has actually put that together and is available at, uh, distributes it or sells it into uh, college, uni- colleges and universities. Uh, and it's, you know, prime material for journalism and things like that. So, wow. Yeah. So it's, right. it, it's all this stuff is just sitting there. I mean, it's crazy. Like, you know, it is. And, and it's, it, it truly is fascinating. I mean, uh, we've done this with a number of bureaus and one of them was also from uh, Dallas at the time that uh, Kennedy was assassinated. And we have copy, you know, remember I told you this stuff goes, we're on printers. Uh, that was ripped, and it says, you know, the president was shot. But, and you can see the um, uh, the words, I mean, sort of out of sequence. It was still printing as they were ripping it out. And, wow. And it just sort of uh, adds an extra dimension to a situation, understanding that obviously people were uh, in, in a rush, in a hurry to get this information out. And this is how it how it was done. I wonder if the news of today will have that same sort of weight in the future. I mean, forget the very big, obvious events, right. but I would imagine there is more news coming through the wire every day than any other day in history. Like, it, it must just be going just exponentially, you know, where the, the, the pure volume of stories must just go up and up and up. Well, yeah, I mean, you also have all this, um, you know, the uh, UGC, right? Uh, so they're contributing to it. Um, yes. The uh, This president decides to use Twitter. Well, that means that we have to react to every time he tweets. Right. Each I mean, tweet coming through the wire. Each tweet is, you know, it's, it could be a news story into itself. So. Right. So there's not a news piece about it. So yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff that moves out there. Yeah, like I, uh, I was talking to a group of teenagers the other day about Snapchat. Yeah. And it's so interesting because they take hundreds of photos a day, maybe more, to the point where they don't care if they quite literally disappear because there's a hundred more behind right. them. In right. other words, it's, it's, they've lost any sort of weight or meaning because the volume is so high, whereas to me, and and maybe it's just a remnant of using film and having an album, and that you know where I'm taking a photo and I'm trying to get the perfect angle, and then I'm right. I'm saving it, and I like to reminisce and go back, and and these kids, it was like we were talking about two different things, you know, um, and and I wonder if if that's true beyond just selfies, you know, and that. Um, when the volume is so high, if each thing sort of loses its weight, you know? Well, 
probably, well, I'm sure that that's a thread that you can pull it in so many different directions. I mean, to me, as, as, as you were talking about Snapchat, one of the things that I was thinking about is that people don't think about um, that if you take a photo and, and you put it up on Facebook, you've essentially granted the right to Facebook to do whatever with that photo. Um, it's not yours anymore. Right. And I, I don't know if people really think about that and the meaning of that and what does that mean. Uh, and we're very cautious about you know, how, how we license the content and uh, what rights we, we define around it uh, because of that. Yeah, because and I think most people do not realize that at all. Right. But then the even scarier thing is that I think even when people do come to realize that, they're sort of like, yeah, well, so what? You know, and and that's to me, that is the most interesting piece of it is that there's a cultural shift, too, uh-huh. around that. Um, yes. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. So you mentioned monetization before. And is how do you monetize, let's say, the archival content? Mm-hmm. There's a topic that I've explored on a couple of previous episodes of this podcast around just the general concept of news as a for-profit business seems to have some inherent conflicts that I feel like as a society we're starting to finally sort of, you know, uh, come up against. Mm-hmm. And where things become more and more sensationalized and, and you know, things are more clickbaity and, and sort of how we started the conversation around, you know, there's more and more of a spin or slant is the word you used. And the reason is because ultimately you want to sell whatever you're selling. If you're selling subscriptions, right, right. Uh, if you're selling to advertisers, then the play is to get as many clicks or as many views. And in a business model based around number of views or a number of subscribers or whatever, then of course you're going to basically pull any trick you can to make the numbers go up. Um, And even news organizations that I think have a lot of integrity, generally you start to see these headlines where clearly the intention is to sort of drive the, the traffic and not necessarily to tell the facts you know uh and anyway you seem like the perfect person to have this conversation with because i don't i certainly don't have a better idea of what the model should be but it seems like the whole idea of news for-profit news seems to sort of inherently lead somewhere bad you're right if, if, if that's what it is now i mean about the ap we're not for profit so, so that you know, so you take off that edge, and the monetization is is really it's a matter of supporting us to do what we do, and you know it's there's it's no secret that um, it's been stressful because uh, a lot of our revenue was coming from newspapers and it's less of those guys and uh, they you know their advertising revenues have declined and so the support from the membership is is less. Um, the radio stations, the same thing, you know, it's, it's cut back. Television still does fine. Um, but whatever we earn goes back into to news. We, we don't, there's, there's no one to share profit with and we don't share profit. And um, so we, we don't, so for me, it's never a worry. I look at it from the monetization and my mon- the way we approach monetization is either through 
licensing of content, uh, sometimes the revenue share, uh, sometimes is you know whatever means, depending on who the client is and you know what's what's the opportunity. But the revenue that we get always goes back to feed this machine. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, we have reporters in Baghdad. Somebody's got to pay. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so um, so we have to sustain that. As far as the uh, uh, some of the other uh, news agencies or news reporters, I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret, and I, I thought I. Um, heard an interview with um, one of the uh, one executive from the Washington Post that Jeff Bezos one of the things that he's done is that he aligned the newsroom with the business folks so that it's understood that you know you do the good work that you have to do but you know to support your uh, work we need to make money off of it we need to find a way to uh, earn money and um, Washington Post probably is one of the more successful uh, newspapers to have, uh, you know, crossed that bridge. Uh, obviously, the New York Times as well. And I'm sure some of the other ones as well. But a, a number of other newspapers, it's very difficult. It's a really difficult time um, because, uh, and, and I use this in that the newspapers really got hit hardest is when uh, Craigslist came about. Because uh, it was a classified advertising was the bread and butter of newspapers. And when uh, Craig Newmark introduced Craigslist, basically, you know, what he said, OK, well, you can buy a car much easier if you do a search on the, on the system. And uh, all those used car ads basically disappeared. Apartments, uh, jobs, and, you know, all, all those things that the wanted ads have totally just disappeared and, and became a whole new medium and almost overnight that disappeared and uh, you still see the major advertising and so on but no classified advertising and that was definitely the uh, the death knell to a lot of this stuff it's fascinating the sort of indirect effects of new technology as the internet enabled craigslist right what you would imagine is that the internet enables some sort of upstart news brand that can run a newsroom cheaper than a newspaper, and so they win. That would be a, a reasonable prediction to make. But but the way that these things often fall apart is more roundabout, you know. True. Uh, yeah. And and Craigslist, I love that story because you know those, those newspapers got caught with their pants down. I mean, there's there's no way that they anticipated that the internet would allow for direct you know transactional classified mm -hmm. ads as a media property essentially itself. Right. They don't need to be buried in the newspaper. You can go straight to the classified section. Right, right. And if something looks interesting, you can go and transact right mm -hmm. there on the spot. Right, right. No, it's, it, it truly is. I mean, you're right. Now, uh, there are clever people who come up with other stuff. Uh, certainly, if you look at Vice News, BuzzFeed, yes. uh, Politico, I mean, they all, you know, found a niche and um, they understood technology very quickly and they learned the mistakes not to make. And how do you get into that space and how do you build out that business? And, um, and you know, even some of the um, more established uh, portals like Yahoo, they couldn't, I mean, they, they were very good at one point, but then they got into sort of an element of complacency 
and what happened is that you know they they lost out, and and you saw that with uh, AOL, and and you know I can go back on the history. You see with CompuServe, you see with Prodigy, uh, they they come on board, they do well for a short period of time, and then they become complacent, and then the next technology comes around, and, and somebody eats their lunch. A, exactly. It's is it the case that maybe all of these news organizations should essentially have the same model as the AP? Like if everyone, to me, the incentives seem wrong. If you know, one would like to imagine that reporters and editors just have a certain amount of integrity that can never be overridden by the business goals. And I don't think it's a bunch of like evil people sitting around, right? Right. You know, but. But especially when a business is struggling, you start to pull whatever tricks you can to get the revenue up right. and the profits up. And so, you know, should news be the sort of thing that can only be not for profit? Um, <laughs> interesting question. I don't know. Um, you can't replicate what we do. I mean, others have tried. Um, I, you know, in. In those halcyon days of the mid and late '90s, when uh, uh, internet companies were popping out all over the place, and you know, I was talking to people, and they said, "Well, you know, if you don't give it to me, I'll just go out and you know get it my own." And it's, go ahead. <laughs> I, the, the complexity of pulling off what we do um, is is far beyond anything that you know that one can imagine, unless you're really into it all the time. It's not a matter of having someone out there reporting, but there's it's far more complex uh, than that. Um, how do you know? If if something catastrophic happens, well, then all bets are off in terms of how we cover it. We'll have drones, you know. We'll have helicopters. We'll we'll get uh, people from all over the place to do all sorts of strange things to cover. Um, we have. Um, when the uh, BP oil uh, thing yeah. in, in the Gulf, well, we, one one of our guys <laughs> dove into that mucky water to film, you know, underwater. Um, and then you have, um, if you ever hear some of the stories of some of our photographers and how they shoot, and and I mean, their their lives is at risk all the time. So you can't really replicate what we do. I mean, this has been. You know, it's about it. And all the other news organizations are subsidized. Uh, Reuters is um, it's a top-notch news organization, but the primary revenue there is the terminals right. uh, from, you know, Thomson Reuters. Um, AFP, again, very good, but it's government subsidized. So right. Washington Post is Jeff Bezos subsidized. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. <Right. laughs> I agree. No one's going to replicate the the wholesale model you have, but the the business model um, of of taking what would be the profits and just reinvesting in better reporting is is I mean it's admirable, but also I think it keeps you honest. In other words, it really is about the reporting. It really is about getting the yeah. facts and less about you know sort of pandering to a particular audience in order to get the views up or get the subscriptions up or whatever. You know, when you're for profit and you have a board to report to, it's a different animal. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know how you get around that. 
I don't either. I'm, so. Thankfully, I'm not on the, the news <laughs> side. Uh, so the 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 last thing that I wanted to touch on, um, and we've we've sort of bounced all around here, but sure. When I think about the news brands of the future, uh, something that strikes me is that a, a brand could pop up today and essentially outsource all their reporting to you. And if they can find a way to create value in the sort of packaging of that content, whether it be through some editorial voice or an amazing user experience or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, it seems like you really are enabling the news brands of the future to start in a very lightweight way. In other words, the overhead of creating a newsroom essentially could be outsourced completely. Right. So, yes, it could. But, but think of it this way. So if, if I'm you know, some clever kid out on the West Coast and is going to put something together like this, and I say, okay, all I need to do is take the AP News and then package it and all that. Where that becomes a problem is the monetization. And, and, I, and from his end, from whosoever end you know, puts it together, because um, news per se is not really um, easily monetized with advertising. No one wants to run an ad against some, you know, against the earthquake in Mexico or uh, Irma or, you know, any of the catastrophes that you see. And, and a lot of the eyeballs come to the site because of that. So often when I, you know, I negotiate with a company and they will say, well, uh, you know, I don't want to pay you what you're asking because I can't make money off of it uh, because no, advertisers just won't post anything. Then my answer to that is that um, it's the entry point to your uh, mall, in effect. And that is a value that you can't, um, you know, you just can't identify. But the fact that I brought that eyeball in and now that person is looking around and seeing advertising from other places, it has a value that I can't put on it. So if you do just a news site like that, it's the advertisers. You just won't be able to get the advertisers that you want. Um, So even our, you know, retail store if you will it's not it's news but we also make sure that we have all sorts of other interesting things around it so that is, uh, is that why every hard news brand also has sort of lifestyle section and oh, whatever absolutely. Yeah. i never really put yeah. that together because that's the, that's the stuff where you can make money in advertising the that's entertainment, right I mean, the, yeah i mean uh, advertisers would you know if it's a if you do stories, a lot of stories on finance, oh yes, they love that, or on sports and you know soft news and all that. Hard news is is not easy to uh, monetize. You can't monetize it directly. You can monetize it by just the way I said is that hey, it's extremely important, and that person is now on your side because right. you had this information, and now you're going to see ads from all over the other places. Right. I guess the exception would be a purely subscription model right and and there are a number of uh, people who are keep looking at that and i know a lot of newspapers have been looking back at you know the uh give you a like the new york times give you a free use up to a point and then you have to subscribe 
Yes, because that cash is, <laughs> is better cash than advertising Yeah, well, and it's cash. recurring. It's and recurring. then you can imagine adding sort of the super deluxe tier that gets rid of all the ads and gives you a premium experience. Right. And then in that case, you're not at the mercy of the of the advertisers. You right. really only answer to your subscribers, to your to yeah. your users. If you use words with friends, that's exactly what they do, right? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're a dedicated words with friends, you know, player, that's right. you're going to pay the thirty dollars. At some point, it's worth it. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I actually think that's an interesting call out because. The gaming industry has been able to really figure out how to monetize in digital yeah. and on mobile. Uh, I mean, it's it's Scrabble for God's sake. It's you know what I yeah, mean. It's not right. like anything that crazy. Uh, and I think one of the lessons there is that you have to monetize different customers in different ways. The one size fits all model, I think, sort of falls apart in digital. Right. And yeah. some people is through advertising, some people is through subscriptions, some people you bring them to a conference, some people, you know, I mean you mentioned Vice. Vice they they launched a beer company recently. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw this. No, I didn't. Know. You know, they have so much brand equity. Right. that they're selling beer because Vice is cool, so you want to drink Vice <laughs> beer, you know? And I mean power to them. Look, if they yeah, can of course. if they can do it, then it's amazing, uh, but it's it's that to me is is I don't know how much beer they're going to sell, but it's a great example of thinking outside the box. Primarily, it's, they're a media company, but they say, "Look, like we'll make money however we can do it." You know, right? Uh, and it's so, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I haven't tasted it yet. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll see, I'll see if we can get some <laughs> our hands on some uh, some vice beer. Um, okay. Well, anyway, uh, thank you so much for well, thank for you. Joining I enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Uh, really fascinating stuff to to think about, and I'm excited to see where uh, where you guys take it next. If I'm still around, <laughs> I'll be happy to talk to you about it. I have more. a feeling you will be. <laughs> All right, thanks, Tom. <laughs>